I grew up in a family of uh, four siblings. I was number three in the birth order and uh, came uh, four years after my young, uh, older sister. And um, when we get together, and we will be together this, this summer for my daughter's wedding up in Breckenridge. So when we get together, these stories always come up. Luckily, we lost the slides. Uh, <clears throat> but every time, and I know exactly the story that's going to be raised about me. Uh, being number three, I had an older brother and sister who got their way over me any time. I mean, they were smarter, stronger, older, all of that stuff. They knew how to manipulate me. But my younger sister, uh, she was the baby of the family, and she's just adorable, okay? So you don't touch her. You realize how powerless that left me. I mean, there, who do I get to pick on? Who do I get to take advantage of? Who do I get to tease? Uh, and and it, I was just deprived of these wonderful parts of being in a home. And, and one of the times that uh, we all remember is a six-week, uh, six-person uh basically road trip to the East Coast. And on the way, we visited every port that my dad had been stationed in in, in World War II. So we started with Galveston, Texas, and went all the way up, uh, up to uh, Newport News, Virginia. And we stopped at every one of them, and I thought they were all pits as a 10-year-old, okay? Uh, but they had a lot of good memories. Then we had a family reunion up in New Hampshire uh, with all of my... Um, with my dad's brother and with uh, uh, my mom's uh, 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 two sisters. Well, on the way, we stopped in Jacksonville, Florida, another port that my dad had worked in, and there was this roadside stand that said, all the orange juice that you can drink for 10 cents. And uh, I looked at my dad and said, I want my 10 cents worth. And he goes, okay, let's let's give this a go. Uh, So the story is, and I believe it's true. In fact, I think it was even more that I downed 19 glasses of orange juice. And, uh, and I got my 10 cents worth. And if you know me in a buffet, I always get my money's worth. So, uh, my, you know, and I would, yay, look at that, Dad, you see what I did? Yeah, because I had to be louder. I had to be more demonstrative. I had to be the one that says, look at me, because no one else was going to look at me. So 19 glasses. <laughs> And then my older brother and sister and my younger sister will tell about, yes. And remember the motel room that night, Jim? In fact, you were sick for two and a half days on the rest of that trip. There was, I mean, the airplane vomit bag was your person, it was in your personal, you know, uh, you were holding it for, for days because I just couldn't handle that. 19 glasses of orange juice in less than an hour. Well, that story is going to come up, but the good news is, is my kids aren't going to hear it, and you're not going to tell them. <laughs> More than that, uh, not only they're not going to hear it, but, you know, that story is going to die sort of with, with our kids, I mean, with, with my siblings. And, and it's not going to be told, but supposing something very embarrassing had happened to you, and it's told not to the next generation or the next generation, or even for five or six generations, but suppose that embarrassing story is told about you for 2,000 years. 
And that's exactly what we're looking on in today. It's a family, but a very asymmetrical family, you might say. It's one that there's a lot of question marks, a lot of missing uh, things, gaps. We have a lot of questions about them. Uh, there's three siblings. They're known as Mary and Martha, or actually Martha and Mary, and, and Lazarus. And uh, we all know about Lazarus, and many of us know, know something about Mary. Uh, but these three were living in a, in, in a town just about two miles outside of Jerusalem. And between Jerusalem and this town called Bethany, where these three siblings lived, uh, there was the Mount of Olives that Jesus often retreated to for the purpose of prayer. So uh, Jesus would stop at this home and they would be fed and they would be well cared for. And now what happens in the, this family, these, these three brothers and sisters, goes, is told again and again and forever and ever, as long as we have the gospel, this story will be told. So it appears that these two sisters and one brother were living without parents. They had probably died. None of them is recorded at this moment of having spouses. And they are all without children. Martha's name, and we have a Martha or two in this congregation. If you don't know, it, it's the feminine um, derivative of the, of the uh, uh, Aramaic word for Lord. So it would be lady. So when you looked at Martha, you were actually calling her Lady Martha or Yes, Your Honor. Okay, And she took that sort of role in the, in the home. Then understand that of the three, she is the oldest we believe she's the one who uh, fits the role as being the most driven and the most responsible of the three. And, and Mary is the one who tends to be more uh, of the moment, more emotive, more passionate than the other two. And we believe Lazarus is little brother, adorable, wonderful little guy, probably an adult as we check in with him. But he never is recorded of saying any word in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. We don't know anything about him, except he was dead for a while and then he was raised. Um, in fact, whenever we see him, it seems like he's sort of shirking any responsibility. Well, we're looking at sibling squabbles. And if you have been a mother or a dad and you've raised children, you know that for some reason they never get along as well as, as you did with your brothers and sisters, right? I mean, you never argued. Well, these three come from the same gene pool, and yet they have a different expression. So we, we see the first uh, snapshot. We're going to have like three slides of them, three family snapshots. And the first one occurs in Luke chapter 10, and it says this, that... Uh, uh, Martha had a sister called Mary, and she, she sat at the feet of listening to what Jesus was saying when Jesus made one of these visits. Uh, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Martha had taken over. And she came to him, Jesus, and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? What does that mean? It means that Martha looked around and she saw everybody doing everything else and she was the one left there alone, probably with her servants, but left there alone to make sure that this whole um, entourage of Jesus and perhaps as many as 70 were, were being fed correctly and being cared for. Uh, Mary was shirking her responsibility. And so Mary, instead of assisting with the meal, gives her entire attention uh, 
uh, to Jesus as he teaches. And Martha feels that this should be a family working together and that her two siblings should be get involved in the picture and should be you know, working along with her. That's the first family snapshot. Older sister resentful. Here's the second one. This deals when uh, Jesus visits them at, at, after the death of Lazarus. And there's some important facts that are necessary here because it shows that, again, um, here is a family, at least two sisters, who are really disappointed in Jesus. Um, so the next family snapshot, uh, we look on in Martha and Mary and Lazarus, and Lazarus has taken ill and died. And an invitation was given to Jesus. Please, they said, please come and help. We've known that you've healed sick people before. Would you please come and would you heal Lazarus? And it even says there, as Jesus is considering it, everybody knew how much he loved those three siblings. He loved them. He thought they were terrific. And yet he chooses purposely not to go. He stays behind, and when he finally does go and he arrives, Lazarus is buried. The uh, funeral ceremony, you might say, or mourning period, has, is now into its fourth day. Now, those of you involved in medicine knows what happened to nerve cells within four days of not being nurtured, okay? They're gone. They don't regenerate. So... Um, <clears throat> Jesus then comes, and it looks like the two sisters have been talking to to one another, and they they both seem to agree, you know, this this wouldn't have happened if Jesus was here, if he would have shown up. We don't understand why he didn't come. We've taken such good care of him, and he's shown every bit of love to us. What, 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 What went wrong? Well, true to character, as Jesus does arrive with his disciples, Martha sees him first, and and she walks out to him. She looks at him in the face, and and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, you might say that's a fact, that it is true. Jesus would have been there. I see it as a guilt trip. I see it as her saying, my brother is dead, and you didn't do anything. And she just gives that. And then Jesus goes into a long discussion with her about what she believes and about eternity and eternal life. And it is at that time where he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he looks at Mary and he says, uh, Martha, and he says, do you believe? And she goes, yes, Lord, I believe. But Mary is not a part of this. She has stayed in the house being surrounded by people who are consoling her, comforting her. And it says that she is caught up in her tears. She's the emotive one, the passionate one. And, and so Martha goes back. She tells her sister that Jesus has arrived. Mary goes out to him. And instead of looking in, in the eye, true to her character, it says she falls on her knees. But she says the same words. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I believe they practiced that. I believe they were ready when Jesus showed up and they were ready to to tell him that, you know, this is your fault. But yet when Jesus sees Mary weeping versus Martha just, you know, giving the facts, when he sees her weeping, uh, he and Mary go together to the tomb and by the sheer power of Jesus' words, 
little adorable Lazarus lives again after four days dead. Second, family snapshot. Third, it occurs sometime afterwards. And this is a a very unique time because uh, Jesus had left Jerusalem not too long before because they had threatened to stone him. And he sort of disappeared in the temple. So he had left Jerusalem and was not coming back. But now he does come back and there is a dinner there. And it says here in John uh, chapter 12, just the next chapter after Lazarus is resurrected, uh, here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served. Oh, what a surprise. Lazarus, uh, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table, not helping again, okay, he's a guy. Guys don't do food. Uh, Then it says, then Mary, who also was not helping. Martha was alone again. Mary took about a pint of pure nard, a very expensive perfume. And she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Once again, and and I I hope you understand this, because probably among your siblings, there's someone who does all the details, who thinks of all the little things that need to be done. And and there's others that go, la-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I think I want to do this today. And there's others that just try to, hmm... Uh, it's not what I want to do today. It's the fact I don't want to do what you're doing, so I'm going to hide. I mean, you know what your family was like growing up. You know what the things you argued about. This seems to be right in character. Martha is overseeing the meal. Lazarus is enjoying the meal. But Mary does her character thing again. Um, We know that these... This family is wealthy, even though we don't know uh, uh, where they got their money or how they got it. We know that they support Jesus and his ministry. They have a very nice home that can accommodate, the, you know, all of Jesus' disciples. It, it, but this time, Mary takes that large bottle, and, uh, and and this is something that's reported in two of the Gospels with something similar reported in another Gospel. She opens it and she comes to Jesus' feet again, probably on her knees. She takes this very expensive perfume and pours it on Jesus' feet. You wash feet, you anoint perfume on the head. So she pours it on his feet and then with her hair, and I can't do this very well, can I? Uh, She begins to dry his feet with her hair. Now, watching at this moment are Jesus' disciples and probably some other people who are in there because they wanted to verify that Lazarus was alive again. So the house was probably crowded and people outside of the house. And some of the disciples speak up and they say, you know, Mary should have given this to the poor or it should have been given to us and we distribute it to the poor. Jesus, it's wasted on you. Whoops. It's wasted on you. Well, Jesus speaks up for Mary and he defends her and he shares what's happening. But at this key moment, we think two things are happening. Judas says, enough is enough. And he makes plans to betray Jesus. 
Judas in his self-righteousness probably saying, this money should be given to the poor. And when he sees that it's lavished upon Jesus, he goes, that's it. I've got to get out of here. And he finds a way to get Jesus arrested for this Passover coming up. But the other is Mary. Mary, knowing that Jesus had returned to Bethany and was coming for the Passover and he'd be in Jerusalem again, knew that this would probably be the last time that she would see her Lord. Jesus says, she's preparing me for my burial. The reason she is doing this is what the other disciples do not get. Mary is able to connect the dots in her prophetic way of, of understanding what she's doing. You know, and she does this in a shameless way. She does it in a lavish way. She does it in a way that just makes everybody say, this is totally inappropriate for our culture. Women, single women, do not do this to a single man. It is shameful. But Jesus says, she's doing it, prepare me for my burial. And Mary probably had been the only one to connect the dots as to why she was doing it. Third, family snapshot. Friends, there's drama all over this family, isn't there? I mean, my gosh, you look at that and and you go, wow. I mean, my family was calm compared to this. I have a conclusion and a question for you. Let's start with the conclusion. It says more than once that Jesus loves these three. And he doesn't love them because they're so peculiar. He loves them because he's God. He loves them because he's God's son. He loves them because this is his nature. And understand that it's through that love of accepting their guilt uh, that they try to pour on him and, 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 and working with them and, and, and taking them aside and speaking to each of them. It is through these situations, through these snapshots, that we find that each of them is led to a confession of faith in who Christ is. But each of them confesses Jesus in a very unique way according to their character. Mary according to the fa- uh, Martha according to the facts. Uh, Mary through what she's doing through her lavish expression of, of the, the perfume. Lazarus by sitting around eating the meal. He's so cute. But now the question. Which of these three loves Jesus most? Any, I mean, I'm not going to ask for raising of hands or answers. I'd faint. But which of these three loves Jesus most? And, And that's something that I think we need to wrestle with because there are ways of love. And some of them are in our head, some of them are in our hearts, some of them are in our actions, some of them are in our relationships. But there are ways of love that we demonstrate and show them. Now, understand what he's done here. Is he's back to Luke chapter 10 in that passage we read when Mary said, would you, I mean, Martha said, would you please tell my sister to come and help me? And he takes Martha aside and very gently he says, Martha, you're so worried about so many things. And in being so worried and so overcome by making sure it's a great meal for me, you've missed the point. You've lost it. Instead, Mary has chosen something better than you. 
But that does not mean that Martha's work was not unloving. It's just that Martha had forgotten of why she was doing it at a certain time. Uh, Paul says, as he's talking about the example of Jesus, he says, each of you should look out not only for your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as, as that of Christ Jesus. And, and so what he's getting at is that love for Jesus means less attention to yourself. And Martha, at some point, stopped focusing on how the meal was going and how much she wanted to honor Jesus by serving this great meal to why is nobody helping me? And she looks around and there's, you know, adorable little Lazarus, but he's useless. And there's Mary who should be here. And she's not. If you don't understand that, let me, you know, how we can lose focus of why we're doing something and what's the purpose behind it. Uh, Here I am as a new Christian, uh, just turned 18, out of my first mission trip. We're serving the Navajos, and part of what we're doing was a work project, and I was to put together a team of three Navajo youth and and, and three of us uh, from Pasadena, California. And one of the things we were doing, and they never told us why, was to dig this ditch, and I, I guess it was eventually going to be a drainage ditch or something like that, uh, into the mission chapel. And, um, uh, you know, the six of us had played basketball. We were hot and sweaty. And, and then we were told we we're going to dig the ditch. And we picked up those shovels and we picked up those picks. And we just started digging away and dug and dug and dug for about seven and a half minutes. <laughs> and then one by one, except for one, guess who that would be? One by one, five left to go back and play basketball again. And there was responsible, self-righteous Jim still in the ditch. Shovelful by shovelful, my resentment and anger rising at these irresponsible, immature much less faithful, much less loving of Jesus than I am. I get Martha. I get Martha real well. I I mean, she could have been my sister. In fact, she was misnamed. Her name should have been Jemima or something like that. She's more like me than any of the other three. But in the midst of that, I understand that I have lost focus of why I was digging that ditch. Without a love for Christ, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all to the glory of the Lord. And I was doing it so that I would look better. It was my reputation at stake. It was my dedication that I wanted everybody to see. Preferring others means I had lost my focus on what was the purpose going on there. If I would have been smart, I would have played more basketball. And then gone back to do the ditches later. Uh, The second thing that I think is extremely important, and this is something that we've been arguing about in the church for at least 2,000 years. Uh, We're told that there's a balance of faith and works, but I want to say this. Faith comes first. Faith comes first. And why do I say that? Good works can be done by people who don't believe. Good works can be done by atheists. Good works can be done by very selfish people because all we look at is what's been accomplished. We don't look at the heart. And what is coming out here is that good works are are fine. There's nothing wrong with them. 
But Jesus tells Martha that her little, irresponsible, uncaring, self-centered, lazy sister chose to do not what was the right thing, but the better thing at the moment. She chose to build her faith, to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to him teach. And in doing that, yes, did she neglect the the great meal? And did she neglect helping her sister? Probably. But Jesus says very kindly, she chose the better thing. James says, you see that this, Abraham's faith is what he's talking about, and his actions were working together. His faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. It is true. You know, real faith will have works, but there can be works with no real faith. And what is happening in our relationship with Jesus as people who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ is we have to grasp that faith is where we start and we build the works on top of that. How's your faith? I I know that week by week there are many people in here who would say, no, I have good works. My works are fine. That should tell you that, that, that I'm a good person. That's fine, but it doesn't buy you eternity. Your faith buys you eternity. Uh, the final thing about Martha and Mary, and again, um, I understand Lazarus just doesn't do much in these snapshots. He's, he's adorable. But that's about all we know about him. About Martha and Mary there is grounding worship. Martha, Martha, he said, you're so worried about so many things, but only one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen what is better. And it will not be taken from her 2,000 years after this event. We talk about Martha and Mary, both loving God in the way they could, very imperfect, sometimes scandalous, but they are involved in grounding worship. Mary got it right first. Three siblings, there's a take-charge older sister, there's a passionate younger sister, an adorable but unknown younger brother, and, and all came to the same place of worship in Jesus. Each recognizes Jesus for who he is, God's son. He is the resurrection and the life, as he says, at Lazarus' resurrection or resuscitation. But And he is the one sure way to come to the Father and be in that relationship with him. Let me quote one of the greatest philosophers of all time, Bob Dylan. We all got to serve somebody. Blaise Pascal. Man is incurably religious. One way or another, we're going to be worshiping something or someone. We've got four options. Whoops, four in the world today. Four basic options you see in Western culture. The first is the worship of facts and science, research and all these things, the things that are measurable. We, we, we worship the material world. And the problem with the material world is there's questions they cannot answer, so they just avoid them. Um, so many of us say, if I can't see it, if I can't touch it, it can't exist, therefore there is no God. And we worship and we, we place our allegiance into all those facts and, and, and whatever science is telling us, and yet they refuse to say, oops, we got that one wrong. When a scientist says, I was wrong, I want to be there. Just doesn't happen very often. The other way is we we worship humanity. What do I mean by that? Well, uh, when we worship humanity, we say humans are going to make humanity get better. 
And there's going to be progress and we're just going to get better and better and better until we have a perfect society. And I'm still looking for the first example of how that happens. Third way is what's being called, you know, Western pantheism. But you know, what it basically says is uh, we believe that there's something out there beyond the material world, and, and we we're, we're we're searching for it. We're we're trying to find it, and and hopefully, as we keep searching, we'll find an inner peace or something like this. The only problem is that the God that they invent is not a God who really cares about him. He doesn't care. You're going to be searching for him and searching for him and searching for him. And then when you get disappointed, you'll just say, well, I'll, 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 find, I'll, I'll look for some other way. And finally, you have God seeking us and proving that he's seeking us and sending his son, Christ Jesus. It is Christ Jesus who showed up for the funeral. It is Christ Jesus who looked Mary in the eye and wept with her. It is Christ Jesus who looked at Martha and said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, yet though he die, yet shall he live. And he who lives and believes in me will never die. Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe this? So, Where would you say your trust lies? Every family snapshot, Martha, Mary, Lazarus, in which Jesus is present, there's no denying who he is. None whatsoever. I invite you to consider this yourself. I invite you, if you are still yet undecided, to, to give this some thought. And, 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 you know, come and talk to me because I'm, I'm really excited about this as I'm learning more about the alternatives that we're looking at in, in our world. And, 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 and I find how they fall short. And for those of us who have turned to Christ, do you understand that when you ground yourself in worship of God, when you say that it's faith that comes first, then your lives will shine, not automatically, but more naturally, out to the world around you. Let's pray. Almighty God, this last snapshot of Jesus being anointed, he understood was the beginning of the process where he would be crucified. And he allowed Mary to show her love, but also knowing it would display to to the religious leaders just two miles away that they had to crucify him, that they had to kill him. We thank you that he showed up We thank you that he understood the cost. We thank you that he really is what we have been waiting for. God finding us in this world. And I thank you, Lord, that you found me. And Lord, now we come to this time when we are going to celebrate 
what you're being anointed in Bethany publicly would eventually cost you just a few days later. We understand that yours, your death was not just one that was a matter of governmental authority. But your death on the cross was God's way of allowing a substitute for what we deserved. Death for our sins. Eternal death. And by your death on the cross, we're offered forgiveness By your death on the cross, we understand you are the resurrection and the life. And we're going nowhere else, to no one else, but to you. And all God's people said, amen.